You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the, the Agile CTO. It's our first podcast back for 2022, so we're having to, you know, shake off some of the cobwebs. As usual, I'm joined by Guy. Guy, how are you doing? How was the break? Well, thanks. It was a good break. Well needed. Thanks, Arlie. And you? Yeah, also a good break. Not long enough, but I think everyone's feeling that. Just for some context for today, we have a roundtable. We don't have a, a guest today. We've got some of the internal employees at Hatefully Software. Guy, maybe you want to chat a bit about what we're going to be discussing today? Yeah, once the cobwebs are dusted off and the awkward intro is over with, I think what we wanted to kick off with this one is to kind of explore something that comes up quite a lot in conversation with everybody that works here at Hayfully Software, at least that I've engaged with, where we like to talk about where we've come from and where we are and, and what makes us happy and what makes us uncomfortable and irritated with a job and, and wanting to move on eventually. So I want to intro who we've got with us today, and we'd like to explore some of the background of our careers and kind of unpack and see if we're doing what we should be doing and hopefully impart some experience and maybe it sparks something for one of the listeners somewhere along the way. So maybe let's kick off with you, Jamie. Intro, you're usually our producer. So you're, you, between you and Kate, you guys are producing the show. Welcome to actually being a guest for the first time, right? So you've, you know the ropes. Introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about you. Cool. Um, Jamie, I am the people and culture associate at Aifly. Before being with Aifly, I was actually a health and skincare therapist. So there's a lot to unpack there. A total career shift. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Cool. Thanks, Jamie. And we got uh, Clint Hill. Clint, how about you? Hi, guys. As mentioned, guys, my name's Clint. I'm the current test lead at Aifly Software. Originally come from a support background and then so I kind of found my way into testing. I've been at Hayfley now for, I think the 1st of Jan was my 7th year anniversary, something to that effect. I forget. It's, it's been so long. And yeah, I'm, well, apart from testing, my uh, responsibility is looking after the testing craft and the testing methodology within Hayfley Software. And yeah, that, that's about me. Awesome. And we got Carl Roycroft, second to last. Yeah. So one of the business owners here at Hayfleet, been here just over two years, also had a bit of a, a industry jump, previously worked in manufacturing, um, mostly deal with kind of client relationships, working with the development teams, uh, making sure we're building the right thing. Cool. Thanks, Carl. And of course, we've got our semi-regular co-host here, Alan Hayfleet. Thanks, Al, for joining this session. Do you want to do an intro? I don't know. Is this a bit awkward? <laughs> Should we just move on? I think from the same, answering the same kind of question, I suppose, yeah. MD technically from 2006, so it's only felt like actually being an MD from 2015, really. But yeah, prior to that, obviously was employed. I've had a couple of jobs prior to being an entrepreneur. So I've sort of this round table will cast my mind back to actually what was it that made me happy then? What is it that makes me happy now? What enticed me to leave back then? So yeah, I'm sort of casting myself back. But yeah, that's me. Great, thanks. Okay, so intro is done. So the awkwardness, hopefully the ice is broken. Maybe, Holly, what do you reckon? We jump into sort of one of the first topics we want to discuss today. And maybe it's the easier one of the, the, the two that we major ones we want to get to. Do you want to intro it for us? Sure. So I think the best way to describe this is say you're, you're at your current job and you, you're, you're scrolling through LinkedIn and you see consistent posts from one individual, one company. It just like, looks like they're having the time of their life at this place. You know, they've, they've got all the bells and whistles that you want to have. And we want to dive into what that is, what entices us as individuals and more specifically in the, in the tech industry, maybe to be attracted to another company and another kind of work experience and what makes us want to kind of explore another option or something like that. So yeah, whoever is, has the first kind of first on the draw, please take it away and tell us what's, what your experience has been with that concept. Sure, shall I jump in and maybe break the ice on this one? So, so obviously, the 50-ton elephant in the room is money, right? So that's obviously the first thing that's going to entice somebody to leave. If, it's, if a company is offering great benefits, whether that's financial or otherwise, I think that's obviously a starting point, at least 
it will be a basic starting point, right? So in terms of what entices me to move besides money, I could think of a couple of things, right? I think on top of that list would be agency in terms of my influence on the strategy of the business, right? Or of the company that I'm going to. And it's very vitally important for me not to be seen as just another contributor in the wheel that's getting the business over the next revenue invoice, right? The next invoice. And I can think of a few more things, but I'd like to hear from you guys before we jump into more of mine. Maybe, I don't know, Clint, what do you reckon? Yeah, as you mentioned, Guy, all of the above, I mean, everything that you, you previously mentioned, I think when I, when I think about money, which is generally the one thing most people avoid when having these types of conversation, especially when you have your directors and MD on the same chat. But yeah, I think if I look at the early parts of my career, money played, I think, a smaller factor in me moving. For me, it was more about growth and the opportunity to, to learn. I think at the stage where I'm at right now, money would probably play a bigger factor. But even still now, I think money for me would probably carry the least weight in making a decision to, to leave. And that's just me personally, because yeah, I wouldn't want to go somewhere where the culture in, in the environment was toxic and work every day would be super unpleasant. You know, for me, money wouldn't outweigh that type of thing. So yeah, touching on culture, for me, culture probably would weigh in quite heavy. If anything, the last two years has taught us things about mental health. And and for me, I mean, I've spoken to, to most of you guys on the school in the past about mental health and, and the importance that, that that plays. And the company culture would definitely either encourage the support of mental health or completely go against mental health and, and I think that could play a big factor. Having security, I suppose, as an individual to, to talk about those types of things um, would play a big factor as well. So, yeah, for me, I think probably, like I said, all the things that you mentioned previously, having influence in terms of strategy, in terms of how we're doing things, those things will all be important for me. But, yeah, I'd probably start with culture. It's interesting. I think there was a differentiation made a while back last year, like things that kind of will pull you out of a company and versus pushes you out. I think from a pulling me out, yeah, definitely like LinkedIn, LinkedIn highlight reels, seeing like companies like being innovative, pushing the boundaries, doing like really cool stuff, like wanting to be a part of something that's kind of like having like significant impact. Like that's always a motivation. In terms of things that like to push you out, like culture is a big one, like the way they treat the people. It's funny, my, my experience was the opposite of Clint's. Like in the beginning, money was the biggest motivator. And now it's probably the least important when it comes to kind of finding places. It's not, not important, but it, it, it definitely isn't the primary motivator. Now it's kind of how is management and the leadership team uh, treating their people? How are they leading them? Like what's the engagement like? I think my experience in Hayfley when I first came in, like there's this analogy of like walking into a restaurant and it's like the first 30 seconds you're in that restaurant, you either know it's the vibe or it's the move or it's not like purely just on kind of the feeling in the room. And I think, yeah, walking into a company where you can kind of, you don't know what it is exactly, but there's something attractive there. And that, that speaks to the culture and the value that kind of drives from the top down, which is really cool. Yeah, I 100% agree with what Kyle was saying there. I was also thinking, as Clint said that, that in my, I think the early part of my career in the first like year or two, it was very money hungry. I think because, you know, it, it's tech and suddenly the, the average salary of an early dev or early BA or early tester is quite a bit more than you ever thought, you know, you'd be, be getting off the bat. And it kind of created this culture and the companies that I, I worked with prior had the I don't know, the expected highlight reel bells and whistles of the fat sacks and the colorful walls and their stormtroopers all over the place and that type of thing. And then you go a couple months and a couple of years down the line, you start realizing, you know, that doesn't mean as much as me having mental health <laughs> and not working 16 hour days as, a, as an expectation. So I think for me, when I started looking again, that is what I was, I was actually deterred by the, I don't know, from my, in my mind, it was somewhat falsehoods of the fat sacks and all that type of stuff. And again, I remember, like Carl said, walking in and it was just a bunch of people really passionate about what they were doing, dedicated to what they were doing. 
And that became like the hook for me. It's like, okay, I want to work on cool projects and build cool things and not be looking forward to the the work and the interactions more than looking forward to the the lunch on a yacht or something like that, right? If you're at a company where that is suddenly like the thing you're looking forward to the most, then yeah, for in my mind, you're in the wrong place. But if every day you're looking forward to that next meeting or the next demo where you get to show off what you did, anything else is just extra and peripheral. But I 100% agree the initial sentiment in this industry of being like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the money. And suddenly you realize very quickly that fades and that is just the facade. And how about you, Jamie? I think for me, I, like... I agree with what everyone said so far. Definitely trust, culture, authenticity, being able to to build healthy relationships because at the end of the day, you spend what most of your, your day at work basically. So if you aren't able to have healthy relationships with your coworkers, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience, I think. And yeah, just being able to speak openly and honestly with with your coworkers and the directors and management having that relationship as well i think that's an important factor and i think that's something that we have not to go in too much detail with that right now but speaking from my own experience like i said i've been in the health and skinky industry i was basically just a number working on ships and working in big hotels it was definitely a shock to my system when i came to afli so that's what got me in through these doors Right, and you've got you've got quite a specific lens on this type this topic as well because you're dealing with our candidate experience and our onboarding process for our, our, our talent area of the business as, as well, right? So, I'd be keen to know if you've heard any anecdotes or any feedback from candidates that have uh, passed through the halls to kind of give an indication of what their experiences are like with us or uh, externally or otherwise. There's been quite a lot of our candidates that we that we had lost last year who walked into our environment and walked into the space and they were like, wow, not only speaking of our process, you start with a coffee interview. That in itself, or a coffee conversation, that in itself is what makes us, I think, stand out because it's not what you'd, it's not a normal interview process. It's a conversation, you know, it's you coming into our space and seeing who we are, not only for us to see who you are and ask you, so what motivates you and where do you see yourself in five years kind of thing. And we have quite a few team members that came from corporate, for example, who was just a number, who was a bum in a seat, basically, who now has the total opposite experience. So everything that we've spoken about now and touched on is what they have experienced. And it's it's not just something that was spoken about like in our in our play dates, for example. It's what they experienced throughout the interview process, but then also in the onboarding process with us. Yeah, I mean I think what's what I find like tricky about a lot of these sort of pull factors and it's obviously different from my perspective because I'm meant to be helping design the pull factor. But to think about myself and the pull factors that I had earlier in my career, I always found it really difficult to know what the highlight reel actually meant, right? So you guys have sort of touched on that. You can see the highlight reel and you sort of, if you've got enough self-awareness, you'll realize that it's the highlight reel. But also, even if it is a honest highlight reel, some of the factors that are in the pool are things like openness and trust and honesty and, and authenticity. Some of those qualities, you can't tell from a job post or a LinkedIn reach out, right? So it often is just about the money and maybe they make reference to their culture and you can look at their website and you can see some pictures. But often a lot of that authenticity, trust, openness stuff, you can't actually tell, right? It's the same, like you're getting married to somebody after the first date. Like You almost need a good couple of dates and then date for a period of time before you can actually make that decision. So it's very – and some of these – Decisions to work somewhere, you know, are not unlike dating someone, given the amount of time that you spend with them and the other people that they bring in, you know. You know so I just find that like the, the grass can sometimes be greener and then you're sold a picture that's not the picture. That, that often plagues me. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, thinking back to when I first joined Hayfield and, and those conversations that, that you and I had, those first couple of coffee chats and, 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 and I remember distinctly saying to you, I'm not interested in joining a company if I'm just going to be looked at as an individual contributor in the behemoth that, that is moving forward with or without me kind of thing, right? And I th- I definitely think it is a, a point in your career when you, you sort of look at the value that a, and Harley touched on it as well with uh, the fat sacks and all of that, right? There is a specific person in that stage of their career where that is 
the be all and end all, right? I am looking for my work to be an extension of my social circle. So therefore it needs to be comfortable, fun, exciting, and the people need to be cool and the whatever. And then you get to a stage in your career or your life where you go, actually, I'm in a phase where money is critical, right? And everything else I will happily absorb into and, and suffer through it as long as I am meeting my financial need. And then you get a stage of your career where actually all of the stuff is fine. You know, the culture and the value I've got all my friends, the the company's cool, the money's, the money's been okay for a while. I'm now more interested in pushing, right? Pushing and learning and growing and actually having influence over this business. And I don't think you're going to get any one answer in those pull factors. You can't win all of the battles. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that perspective? I think it definitely does shift. And like, as you go through life, like different stages and stuff, like, I mean, if you're someone who is looking to get married and move out and kind of start your life and building that, like money obviously plays a huge part in that. So that's going to be a huge pull factor. And I think what, when, like for me, there's always that, that funny thing I think about, like money buys happiness and like to a sense, I subscribe to that, but in another way, I think what it actually gets you is freedom. And once you get freedom from like the problems that money can kind of like solve to a sense, then like freedom means time. And then you can start thinking about the things that are more important to you, right? And the things that are like more intrinsic, the the kind of things you want to achieve that are not kind of tied to the constraints of money. So that's, I think, when, when you're in a stage of life where money isn't like an intrinsic motivator, then you can start to kind of like chase the kind of non-functional sort of requirements the interesting thing there and what guy said that this kind of phases right is how quickly those can actually change that it's not like okay for three years i'm just focused on money and then i'm focused on like being in the right social environment it it can happen so fast that you can swap between those and that's why being at the right company that can kind of tick as many of those those boxes for you and that you can have open conversations and be like, listen, I'm struggling uh, mentally right now and I just need a bit of a break. Or listen, I'm struggling financially right now and we need to discuss rates or something like that. And I think that besides my like myself experiencing those you know, ups and downs and different priorities, it's something when we have our, our one-on-one conversations, practice leads myself, Guy, and Clint with the kind of, kind of the members at our table. One of the questions we ask is we have this triangle and then we say, of the three points, the one is challenge, the one is kind of stability, and the other one is recognition. And it's, you know, where are you leaning towards right now? What is your priority? And within a couple of weeks, you see very different answers. Sometimes, you know, the people have just moved houses, and they just want stability. And sometimes they have, you know, put in the time, and they are really wanting recognition or something like that. And I think it's so important to be at a company that will adapt and change to help cater for you. Like what Jamie said, that you're not at a corporate, you're not a bum in a seat, but there's an individual relationship between yourself and that company. And you both kind of work in tandem to be the best and give the best for one another. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is, therein is the challenge probably from, so sort of now putting on the, being the employer or, or thinking about those CTOs that are trying to be agile CTOs. Therein I've found is probably one of the bigger challenges around people and building a business around people is that people's motivations and drivers change. Like when you're a five-man shop, six-man shop, and it's kind of like fluid and agile, and you're kind of riding on the fact that, well, it's it's growing and it's stretching and it's challenging, there's not a whole lot of stability and there's probably not a whole lot of recognition. It's just kind of like chaos. And in a way, that's the fun and like that's the appeal. But if you stay there for too long, the humans in that group will then move, right? They, you know, get engaged and are looking to start a family and then the, the drivers move. So now you fast forward and you've got 60 people. At any given time, there are a third that are looking for culture and openness and honesty. That's like most important. But then there's another third that are like, you know what, it's about the money right now because I'm about to have a baby. And then there's another third that are very much about you know, drive and learning and the challenge and actually it's not about the money. So in a way, I would say it's probably around like the 20 people mark. If I think back of our trajectory, it's like at that 20 people mark, you are now needing to have all three because there will be a number in that crowd that are subscribing and moving between them. So if you are only on, sorry, we can't pay market related, but we're all about the, we're all about the challenge and we're all about the culture, you're going to lose a third of your team and you will have it's almost entirely justifiable, right? Because this one's having a baby and well, they need to go overseas and like, and you, and you can be like, oh, I'm sorry to lose the person, but yeah, you, if you can't tick that third at that time, but then yeah, you're like 
blink two months and it's a different third because now it's another third that have moved and you know now it's not about challenge like Holly says now it's about money so it's like yeah it's kind of like this race to tick all three and make sure that you can be market related plus some as fast as possible while not losing the other attributes i find that a key challenge with people then there, there, there are probably some characteristics or attributes that are external to the triangle as well right so and, the, and they are pull factors that you can't measure f- until you're in it, right? There are things like how the company would provide a sense of value to their people, right? So how, how, how valuable do you feel personally as an individual contributor inside of a company? And how transparent do you feel that company is being with their people, right? And how influential is your idea in the broader thinking of, of a company strategy? And all of those three things for me are incredibly important, but you cannot know that by looking at a job posting or going through an interview cycle or even spending six months, the first six months at a company, right, in, to a large extent. And I think those things are, they're like in the DNA of the organization. It's not something that you can, I don't know, that's my opinion anyway, that that you can just slap on top of a benefit sheet and go, right, we offer transparency and, you know, sense of agency and you're valuable and, you know, you know, you can put a hand on the wheel. It's very difficult to kind of get that right. And, and we struggle with it to this day, right? But we, yeah, we don't, we don't always get it right. Yeah. Look, and in a way to help people to do that, because you're right. How many times do you hear the story of somebody being missold what's on the label? You know what I mean? What's in the label was not what was inside the tin. And I think it's difficult to solve that and starting a new job as stressful as it is. Now you add the anxiety of maybe you signed up for the wrong thing and you're like, you know, you'll have confirmation bias and you'll also have buyer's remorse and all this anxiety on day one, day two, that if it doesn't all line up and anyway, I think that's why Jamie Lee candidate experience is so key. So that day one and day two, in particular, when that anxiety is the highest, that they are supported and they kind of know. But yeah, even before that, it's almost trying to think about all those people out there now that are about to move jobs in the next month and are in this anxiety or people thinking about going for interviews. You know, you want to the interview process also doesn't really align to allow you what it's really like. You almost kind of want you to force, I want a second date and a third date and a fourth date and actually the team that I'm going to be working with, can I go and spend a day with them? Okay, so is it, it's Eric and Joe and Vanessa and go and find them on LinkedIn and carve out a coffee date with them even if the company's not offering it. Like to me, I think of it now, like there's no ways if I go back to being an employee somewhere, like I would be super ridiculously anxious if I'm about to start somebody and I'm going to be working with these people eight hours a day going from this where I've got the highest agency possible and like I get to choose the people I work with. Now I'm going to go somewhere else where somebody else gets to choose the people I work with. Like I want to know who they are. You know, so I find that like really hard how people make decisions to go somewhere without having done multiple coffee dates. But of course, it's often not available. You know, you're kind of like taking a stab in the dark, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, like the interview process is almost catered to or for the company and it's understandable, but it's like at the end of the day, if you want someone's loyalty and them to kind of buy in and take ownership, they also need to, in a sense, have their opportunity to to understand what they're getting into. I mean, Jamie will know when we have our, our play dates, which are kind of like a probably the third time like the person is engaging with us is we often not hype, hype up like hatefully, but like we, we all experience like the culture here so authentically that we kind of can't help but kind of convey that. And then we almost have to like reset expectations to go like, yes, like we work for like a really good company and, and things are really awesome. And, but in the same breath, if you peek behind the curtain, I'm sure you'll find some things that aren't necessarily going to tickle your fancy. And it's not, it's not going to always be. 100% aligned to what you're looking for. Like each company, like each relationship has its challenges and the things that were once appealing to you and your partner become the biggest annoyances. And so it's like, you never know. So like, I think like what Guy mentioned, that DNA aspect, like when people engage with us and the candidates and stuff, like it needs to be part of our DNA and they need to see that it's authentic and coming through. But I think there's also that, that aspect of just like resetting expectations. Like, you know, we strive for it, but we don't necessarily always get it right. Yeah, I think, Carl, you, you touched on something quite important there that I, that I wanted to get to. And look, I remember my first conversation with Alan. I was like, what makes Hayfordy Software different? I, was, I said, I know like, at the time I'm a junior, I'm going to grow where, wherever I go. And I know there are a lot of companies that will help me with that. 
I know that I can go out there and find a job regardless of salary and that type of thing. What what is different here? And Alan was like, Well, it's it's the culture, right? And it's like, okay, anybody can list that on a benefit, prove it type of thing, right? And I think now, like the east five or six years later, if I was looking for a job, the biggest draw would be that we have like internal committees, like the our SX, our staff experience committee, which is led by Jamie and, and Kyle's on the two, and I, I was on it at a point which is completely independent of management. It's completely run and maintained by the kind of the working force of the company. And they somewhat dictate the culture. They dictate the social events. They dictate the approach. If there are, if individuals have issues with certain things, they're the ones that kind of look after that. And I think that is such a better indicator of a somewhat maybe healthy company with a healthy culture then if you go to Alan, the MD, he goes, yeah, we've got a good culture. It's like, okay, but you're not like on the ground type of thing, right? So I think having that in place is way better than hearing it from anybody else who, who you're going to hear it from in like the upper management side of things. So I don't know, from my perspective, when that idea was conceptualized, I think that was a massive like turning point in the, the company culture and people, just ideas started flooding forward. So I don't know if anybody wants to speak to that and kind of, their perception of it and how much it's maybe changed hey Philly as an organization and maybe if it's something other companies should look at doing as well i just want to touch on something guy mentioned of like when there are certain things that you can only see once you're in the company and you've been here for a few months which is true but i i like to believe that when the candidates do actually meet us so they go through the process and they meet alan and they meet the essex committee and they do their technical con- have their technical conversations they're able to get a glimpse into or at the dna if that makes sense because now it's not it's not just them and the MD, now it's them and, and a few of the team members in our company. And so it's not like, you know, we don't all go before the, the meeting and we're like, oh, we're going to say this and this and this. Like they can actually tell that we're being authentic in the way that we speak about the company. And as Carl mentioned, we're quite honest as well. And it's like, this is who we are. And yes, it, it, may, it maybe does sound perfect while we're speaking about it, but also we are still an organization and there are still things that we need to, to work on and learn from and those sort of things. And just having that open conversation with them in, the, in that play day, I think that's something that already gets them like, oh, wow, okay, this is different. Not only is this a staff experience committee, but the conversation is different as well. And it's not so much about you as a candidate sitting there and trying to sell yourself, but also we're giving you the opportunity to to now look into to who we are. And so it goes both ways. And then just touching on the staff experience committee, yeah, I think it was a, when we started these committees, it was, it definitely was a turning point. I also think that staff, there was almost like a, because now staff could feel like, cool, there's a committee that we can go to. And even though we, we always talk about people of a process and open door policies and those sort of things, it's difficult sometimes to be like, can I actually go into a director's office and, and speak openly? Because there are still people who maybe don't feel comfortable to do that, not because they're not, I don't know, because it, it's maybe who they are. and they More extrovert, introvert dynamic. Exactly. And so knowing that there's a committee that's there to, to take care of, of you as an individual, you know, and to represent you in the company, I think that's definitely something that that company should look into because it, it, it changes the dynamic, dynamic in a big way. I think especially for introverts, like, I mean, extroverts will always fight for what they want and need and all that stuff, but the introverts won't necessarily. So having that team to kind of advocate is, is awesome. I remember thinking about you know, sort of early interview process, thinking about it from a, a cortisol perspective. Granted, it was my heavy sum and cynic days, but thinking about it from a cortisol perspective, even from a client, right? A client's about to start with us. There's this anxiety, like, have you chosen the right supplier? Because you've had a couple of meetings and you maybe bounce some proposals around and, and you've got five to choose from, you know, the software house or that software house. And, and then you can sort of lower that cortisol with, you know, that flight to London and spend some time and you can do it that kind of the old fashioned way or you can do it the more commercial way by removing that clause from the contract that says you can give us a week's notice if you're not happy. Now, cool, cortisol drops way down because now you're not, hey, I'm not jumping into bed with you and I, I'm stuck for six months. Like, so if you think about it from an employee's perspective, that cortisol level, right, okay, so yeah, so the client, you're removing that clause 
and now having them having control over whether we get given notice on a short basis or not, then the cortisol drops and they can engage and you've got now more breathing room to build trust and then you are now, yeah, you come together. Right? And if you look at this from an employee's perspective, cortisol is like streaming high when you have this first interview and now you need to make a decision. You have to go resign at your boss and you have to go through that whole process. Are you making the right choice? Is what's on the tin going to be in the tin? And so cortisol is quite high and you can just imagine in a marriage or, you know, your, your, the boyfriend at home, he's also adding cortisol because you're moving jobs and maybe they don't fully agree and maybe it's a change in career, like, like max cortisol. So hang out more, meet more of the people. Okay, there's a little bit more of a trust factor here. You And I remember thinking it from the point of view that if after the play date, if the person and their spouse are not fully like sold, right? Now you have to sell the spouse without obviously you're not interviewing the spouse, right? So you're kind of like you're selling, you're indirectly being interviewed by the spouse without the spouse actually interviewing you. So like how do you get, how would you get the spouse to be like, oh my goodness, honey, that sounds like the place, sign that thing. When do you think they're going to send the contract? Like you need to get there. Then the cortisol is like way down. But yeah, it's very difficult to get there unless you're going to spend the time and the energy and have enough, you know, the right mix of people talking. But yeah, I remember that cortisol is a big deal and it is a big deal. Just for my stupid brain, cortisol is a stress hormone, right? So it's, we're talking about stress levels here. Sorry, yeah. Cortisol is the stress hormone and the oxytocin is the love hormone, which builds trust and builds community and brings belonging. But yeah, cortisol is the thing that makes you run away from a lion and oxytocin is the thing that makes you get engaged in your <laughs> Makes you want to hug it. Got to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had a conversation with, with one of our testers early December and one of our testers that had just finished the three-month probation period and part of that conversation I'll normally ask questions like from the company perspective you know like how's the first three months going what have we done what are the things that we've done that's gone well and what are the things that we've done that could have been better you know what the experience has been like for that first three months so the key thing which I think relates to this conversation that kind of stuck out amongst a couple other things was the things that went right and the one thing that he pointed out is he felt like it was a the company was like a more of a community than just a company and a place that he comes to to come to work where you felt safe to to hear his opinion whether he was right or wrong and i think we've done a lot and, and that's worth giving ourselves a pat on the back for because we we spend a lot of time working on the culture working working on an environment where people feel safe to give their opinion and like that's the thing that stood out to to him compared to where he was previously where it was just a you know you pitch up at work or you well not pitch up at work open your laptop in your room now and you start doing your job and at the end of the day you you close your machine and you know that's the expectation when when now you feel we felt as part of a community I'm I'm not destroying that too much because I'm still trying to remember a lot of what I did last year, considering today being the first day back. But yeah, I think that talks to a lot of what we're talking about right now. Oh, just to balance that, because as as cool and as far as I feel, and as many things that I do get right, you know, I think there's an element. There are. It's difficult for me to let go of certain resignations, and I would say, while we've had some some resignations that are definitely put in the regrettable category. You know, there's probably six in the last six years that stand out as regrettable to me. In other words, they point to a key policy change or they talk to a specific event that needs to get fixed. Some resignations I'm, I don't feel are regrettable in that, sure, I regret that, they've, that they need to move on and they're no longer part of Hayfully, but they were for reasons that I can totally support and I can totally get it. You know, some, some, somebody needs to... There's a great opportunity to go to Ireland and, and I can't match that opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity and the person doesn't actually want to leave us, but you can't ignore the opportunity. Obviously, it's a regrettable, but I wouldn't put that a regrettable with a capital R because there's no real uh, direct fault within Hayfield's DNA of like, damn it, we lost that person because of a preventable illness or something that's that's incorrect, you know. But there are a bunch, you know, that stick with me. And I think the just to balance all the, you know, the, the rose-tintedness, there's 
there's always correction, I guess. And it's funny, like, you know, when you see on an airplane where every safety feature on an airplane is because of some crash, you know what I mean? The reason that they now insulate those cables in the wings is because some flight number went down in the 60s and they figured out it was because of the electrical cabling. Now all electrical cables are done a certain way. And they are probably like six off the top of my head that point to particular plane crashes where it's like, damn it, we need to insulate those cables or we need to fix that, we need to fix that. And and I think the I always have the anxiety that we missed one. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you fixed the insulation cable, but now did you actually maybe the crash was caused because of a engine failure of some other type that you are not conscious of. You know what I mean? So it's always like the bugs you're not aware of than the bugs you are aware of. The bugs you are aware of are like, Cool. Bugs you're not aware of. Those are the problem. But anyway, it's, I think it's good also in this conversation that we, we have memory of the six, seven, eight regrettable, the capital R regrettable resignations, which also infer and change the DNA, like DNA changing resignations. Yeah. Yeah, and and I always find it quite cringy when you when you have to speak about yourself and your accomplishments in a positive light in general, right? So I find it it's a lot easier for me to explore the slightly less favorable aspects of it, so that we can find ways to improve, right? And and I think if we're candid, Hayfully Software has been through these ebbs and flows as well, right? So we've had phases where the company is all together and it's a small group and everybody's got fantastic relationships, and then we've gone through you know wild swings in the opposite direction where a worldwide pandemic forces everybody apart and all of a sudden we have an entirely different culture and we have to now navigate a completely different set of problems that we've never seen before and some people appreciate the fact that we're all learning together and some people are, won't right and some people will just decide that's enough for me now I'm not going to try and you know I'll just go somewhere where this problem solved already right and you're not going to be able to influence those people as much as you would have liked but hopefully at the end of the day you kind of navigate those waters and come out the other end le- knowing something and learning something and being able to give this advice or at least given a perspective on how it was handled, right? Have we handled it correctly? Let me put that question out there. What do you think, Al? I think I, I, this is the one I shouldn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Okay. So what do you think, Kali? You're pretty candid with this kind of thing. Oh, look, guy, you'll know. I'm the first to raise my hand when I disagree with something, and that's you know that's the foundation of our our friendship at this point is just constant arguments. And right to my face. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that look, I think that there's definitely been a lot of stumbles along the way with approaches to certain things. But the positive indicator is the oh, okay people aren't happy with this and let's figure out a new approach this is what we're thinking it's not like okay we're just going to implement something new and hopefully they like that it's like this is what we're thinking for this different approach what is what is everyone's thoughts people go yes 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 yes. it's like okay cool we're going to implement that there are a couple of problems a couple of people don't like it a couple of people love it it's like okay cool let's kind of figure out the middle ground and i think that is the the biggest thing right is that the the willingness to adapt and to change and to improve and again to cater for certain individuals at a very personal level and i think that is indicative of a good company if there's a company that has no problems or all the problems are solved and their specific policies or approaches fits every single employee like i don't think that exists there there's no chance that exists every person every company is going to have problems but it's about how you deal with those, right? And I feel like we have a mature approach, regardless of all the the fights that guy and myself get into. But it, you know, if it helps us get if it helps us get over the line, that's what matters, and that's the important part. That whether it's myself and guy, or a fresh intern saying, "I didn't feel super comfortable in this process," and I think you know Jamie Lee, maybe this onboarding would have been easier, or I felt maybe left alone at this point or something, and I needed guidance. It's like, okay, cool, thank you for the feedback. Let's figure it out and come up with a new approach. And I think that is probably like the best indicator of a healthy environment. Less dictatorship, more open for discussion. Like we're not necessarily going to, like I think there's a distinction. Like you're not going to cater to every single person and lose the inherent DNA or culture of the company by doing that, right? But there's knowing as an individual that you have space to go and approach like the leadership or the management and knowing that you heard and that they they are actually interested in that and they're willing to try and accommodate or move things in a way which can cater to you like that's big not like 
not just rolling out of cool this was an issue this is what we're doing now like bang on like i think having that more that engagement is a big thing i mean i've i've come from the what's it autocratic dictatorship like condescending environment like it's not a great place to work and people actually close themselves off and you you lose your people and for me that like knowing that you have a space where you can actually engage with people you can have a conversation you can walk into someone's office and raise an issue is a big thing because it makes you feel heard and that people actually have an interest in your personal well-being as well yeah, i think us 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 answering guys question by saying that there there are no problems and we've dealt with it all correctly in itself probably would be a problem in itself yeah <laughs> You know, and and the fact that even in this conversation that that we're comfortable enough to say, well, yeah, there's there's been problems and we've been comfortable enough to raise them and discuss them, that in itself for me is a a healthy culture. I mean, we could even talk to how we build software. We're having that same approach is healthy within our team. And I think that comes from the top down. Yeah, I agree with you, Clinton. I think what Alan said earlier about, you know, the, the plane metaphor and insulation trying to stop the problems is that that's one approach, right? That's like the, the problem happened and it's like, oh shit, now like the postmortem, we need to try and figure out how to stop that. But I think it's one of the funniest things. And I laugh every time Alan does it in one of like the company regroups where, you know, every three months we kind of get together and Alan goes, okay, cool. We're on like sales version 7.0. We're on hiring version like 4.4. And like all of the different aspects of the business from sales to progression to hiring to like, I don't know, the the coffee machines. Like there are versions and there are version numbers associated. And it's like, okay, cool. You can clearly see that there is feedback like at every step of the way from different people and we're constantly evolving and improving. I just think it's the funniest thing because like Clint said, it's like our approach to software seems to be also like our approach to running a business. And I think it's, it's, it's hilarious and it's, it's probably quite unique, but it makes for a fun time. <laughs> but yeah, like I think there's, I don't know, it's, there's also something, uh, I don't know, maybe it's become a coping mechanism, but, you know, certain resignations which hit hard and are like, oh, man, uh, and, and it feels avoidable, it kind of really helps me. So there's a selfish element to it as well that it feels a lot worse if that resignation was in vain, right? But if that resignation highlighted, a, oh, man, yeah, we weren't catering that well for that, for that type of personality or we just missed something there, then at least that resignation is not in vain, right? If the company is then better for that person, while they were there and better for that person, even though they're gone, then you're like, okay, cool. Everybody that remains has got now got better insulation, right? And that engine is now protected from bird strikes. And like, you know, now we've got a better GPS in the plane because of that person. And there's a better insulation because of that person. Like there's a part of me that quite likes, I can, it helps. It's a coping mechanism to get over the losses. <laughs> yeah. And I think like that in itself, that response, like speaks to like being teachable, right? Everything is a lesson and, something to take and learn from and i think being teachable links to like humility so like the fact that that culture is here like that speaks volumes already like people aren't willing to go like i know it all don't tell me how to improve like the sales pipeline like actually if you've got some interesting bit of information that's going to help me like get to like the next version like let's crowdfund that idea yeah if you guys will indulge me in an analogy, it's almost like you could look at a company to bring it back to a pull factor. Right? So if, if this, this conversation has helped me to, to frame this a little bit better in my mind, it's like you can look at a company as a person that you may potentially be friends with, right? So if you, if you walked into a room with this company and they were at the bar and you guys sparked conversation, like would you walk away from that conversation thinking, hey, I'd actually dig to hang out some more with this person. I think she'd be an excellent like friend, right? Or, uh, or no, this person's a psychopath and everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. And I can actually see the facade, the mask that they're wearing. And actually your analogy, you pointing out Harley, that we've got versions of everything all the time is exactly how a person grows, right? So it's, it's like you are different to who you are or you were a year ago because of the experiences over the last year. So obviously the way that you think about things is going to be different. So you can actually make the analogy as a friend or a person and how they're growing and maturing and Yes, Hayfully Software was a petulant teenager maybe 10 years ago, but now we're a, you know, we've been hit by the life tree a couple of times and now we're a, uh, you know, reticent 38-year-old, <laughs> you know. 
And who knows where we're going to be, an arrogant 50-year-old in the next five years. We'll see. I think one of the things I really love is that maybe even 15 years ago, you know, when Guy was only 40, I think there there wasn't... I don't think conversations like this and having so many people, the concept of a committee, you know, to discuss this was probably completely foreign. And the fact that culture is such a common conversation in this industry and, you know, in other industries now as well at a, at a company is so awesome. I think I and myself were chatting about it, how there in this industry, there are so many opportunities that if you leave one company, chances are if you're even below average at your job, you're probably going to find a job elsewhere because there's such a demand in this industry. So now the pressure in comparison to say the 50s is all on the companies to be enticing and to be sustainable and to be enjoyable to work at, which means that often the the deciding factor now has become what is your culture like? You know, what and those are the questions you're getting asked, not what is the salary, what are the benefits, how much how many leave days do I have? Like, sure, that's important. But the culture is becoming more and more prominent and more and more important. So I'm very excited to see the next 15 years and where we're at then and how, besides Hayfordy, the whole industry and companies in general are now approaching culture and what culture looks like and what already we're seeing it in, in you know, in like the offers and their statistics every year that's fi- like the financial incentives are becoming less and less important. And company culture, company ethos, and all that stuff is becoming more and more important. So given more time, what is that going to look like? And I think eventually, you know, like the the, the benefits are going to be so far low down and it's just going to be the best companies for culture are going to be competing for the top employees. Look, I think the, it, it, that would be a win probably across, I suppose it's probably industry specific. I think our industries, which are very in demand, tech, fast moving, and yes, the demand and supply of individuals and talent is sort of in our particular favor for the last couple of decades. But but I think it, it sort of raises the reminder of there are a bunch of industries that are still in the 1950s in that sense, where it is all just about the pay. And, it, and in a way, that's quite depressing and sad to think about that. That is a bunch of decades behind culture being important, where Sort of the workforce is not. There are a series of these industries that are still, from a cultural perspective, or from a you know what's more important, cultural remuneration, are still very much in the fifties. You know where it, it isn't like it is in technology, and I think in a way that's a little de- depressing to think about. But you know, I, I hear you, Holly. I think what's happened around people's value and culture and the importance of it and importance of mental health, we are almost at the sh- at the sharp end and the and the thankfully grateful end to you know to be at this point but yeah there are a bunch of industries that i think still have some way to get there and it'll be yeah i wonder how long it'll take for all of that to spread for sure one of the key takeaways from this conversation for me is having been behind the curtain a little bit in sort of the operational day-to-day you you quickly realize that nobody knows what the hell they're doing right and any company that sort of professes to know what the hell they're doing is probably you know you know hiding a few things under the rug here and there around how much they know what they're doing so we're always learning we're always growing and we figure things out and we know how to do things differently from one day to the next so for me i think my perspective is has shifted to have two vital things that a company will need right in order to prove to me that they are worth joining. And that is, can I talk to, and you guys have all brought this up, can I talk to the management or the executive or the whoever's, whoever's uh, making the decisions in a candid way where I can voice my you know, unhappiness or happiness or whatever and have that heard? And how honest is that, that feedback? Right. How honest is that company in in the sense of, okay, right now we're trying this. We don't know this. We actually don't know what the hell we're talking about right now, but we're going to give this a go. And it's two words, transparency and agency, right? I think for me right now in my career are the two most critical things that are going to be important when looking at a new move. I think the other thing that we all kind of touched on, yeah, just to summarize a little bit, like I said, is that if we're looking at that triangle, for everyone at any point in time, they're going to be juggling themselves between financial and, and benefits, um, the opportunity to to grow and to learn and progress, and then the culture and the stability of the job and the role and that type of thing. And as a team member working with that individual, as a person who's experiencing that themselves and as a company, I think everyone just needs to be aware of that, that everyone is going to be fluctuating constantly and that's 
just because you figured out what someone's current goal is does not mean tomorrow is going to be that same goal. And exactly like I said, from the operations point of view, best of luck to you. <laughs> I don't think it's easy to manage, especially as you scale, which is why I'm very interested to see how we as an organization and company maintain a culture that I think everyone in this room is very proud of as we kind of set off on this path of wanting to grow further and scale and, you know, have more, yeah, more employees, be a bigger team and maintaining that culture and that kind of ethos that we've built over the specifically the past couple of years. Yeah. And to, just to build on that, Harley. So if you are in the operations side of things and you kind of you're trying to figure out which phase the majority of your people are in, sort of whether it's social or whether it's a pure financial or just, uh, I think something to keep in mind is, and you know, who's to say that my advice means anything, but the loudest voices aren't necessarily representative of the group, right? So it's often easy to go, three people have now come shouting about the fact that we don't have enough, you know, after school activities, you know, like uh, social functions or whatever. But that may be representative of 3% of the company. They just happen to have the highest sense of agency and they're coming in and, 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 and making the most noise. But it's very difficult to, oh, it's very easy to fall in the trap of, oh, well, if, if, if this is the loudest noise I'm hearing, it must be representative of the, the larger community. I think on that note, we'd like to wrap this roundtable up. Thank you to everyone for joining us. It was great to get different perspectives. Everyone, thank you for sharing your experiences and your thoughts. I hope that came across that we are really just speaking from experience and what we think works and doesn't work, but we do not have the, you know, the secret playbook. Guy, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, but, but we write, we're writing one. We're writing one. A little playbook day by day. There's lots of, we've scratched out a whole lot in the back. And there's some scribbles and swear words all over the place, but it's we've got like three pages. You know, I wouldn't say it's a book. It's more like a, you know. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Clint, Alan, Carl, Jamie Lee, Harley, as usual. It's been great. Catch you on the next one. At Hayfully Software, we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't. Dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons, from lack of skills to barriers and culture, from politics to process, from silos to egos. Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end -end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Agile CTO. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time. <laughs>